Well, hello everyone and welcome to The Cosmic Connection. Today's theme is stepping into new territory. I am Amanda Poole-Walsh, the founder of Astrology Hub. I'm here with the Merlin, Rick Levine. Rick? I am here too. It looks like I was elsewhere. <laughs> I, was, I was simply setting up a chart so when we get there, we can be there. Um, how are you this week? And uh, is life crazy enough for you yet? Because I think it's still got a bit to go. Oh my gosh. We were talking in the inner circle. So we had our new moon forecast broadcast with Linda Bird. And before we went live, we were talking about the idea of staying bouncy. And I guess Stephanie Galing, the astrologer Stephanie Galing oh, said that in the beginning. Well, yeah, yeah in, in the it's beginning really of 2020, she, she said, we're going to need to stay bouncy. And immediately I think of my tennis days, which I loved tennis, and, and how you need to be bouncy in order to go in any direction that the ball is going to come. And that's how this, it has felt this year. I don't know that everybody feels particularly bouncy, but it would be a good strategy to use. But the thing about bouncy, and, and, and I should say that I adore Stephanie. I think she's really smart and really, uh, I, she's a good astrologer and a good person. I've known her for a, a long time, even longer than she was doing astrology, actually, and over the nutrition stuff. But um, that staying bouncy, I think, is a really interesting concept. Um, okay, here's a secret from my dark past. I actually have a varsity letter in tennis from high school. So Same here! <laughs> and I wasn't awesomely good at it, but I showed up and it was my favorite, you know, uh, sport, so to speak. And I think the thing about being bouncy, you know, it's almost like a Gemini thing because it's, it's not so much about the action of bouncing as it is being always ready to, to jump. It's to move. It's, it's the um, Muhammad Ali, you know, um, you know, what was it? Uh, um, Dance like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You know, yeah. that whole idea of, um, of, 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 of shifting weight and always being ready to move one way or another. So I don't think it means bouncy in this kind of like, you know, kind of bubbly, bouncy. I think it means literally, um, and maybe I'm putting concepts into um, what Stephanie was saying, but I really think that more than anything, we have to be adaptable. And maybe that's what bouncy really is. You know, it's that sense of being able to hit a surface and, and, and jump again right away one way or another. So I like yeah. it. In the word nimble too. I mean, it's it, it it has felt like things are coming at us from so many different directions. You never know what's going to happen next. And so, yeah, I don't think bouncy means cheery. I think she's meaning being able, being nimble and yeah. able to move with the with the energy. It's a Gemini, mm -hmm. almost like a a Gemini sense of restlessness. And I think Muhammad Ali, if I'm not mistaken, might've had a Mars in Gemini. He was a Taurus, I think, but he had a Gemini piece of his chart. Um, but there's something about that Gemini energy that is afraid to stand still, <laughs> you know? And it's, and it's really because it's, an, it's the most adaptable sign in the Zodiac. And it has to do with always being ready to adapt to whatever the next change is. And so anyhow, yeah, I agree. I think that we, we're, we're not done with the craziness. We have to stay um, nimble, bouncy, adaptable, uh, and not too fixed in our ways because, um, because fixity right now, I think, is a bit of an illusion. An illusion, and it also creates a lot of uncomfortableness. 
right? I mean, I think it, it discomfort is a much better word, but it, 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 it's when we're stuck on something right now, it's just, it's creating more pain for our ourselves, I think. Well, and I think that that's, I mean, look, here's, here's where Saturn comes into the picture because Saturn is at once the most fixed planet and the most flexible. I mean, I know that sounds crazy and most people don't think of Saturn that way. I mean, Saturn, Saturn is at home in two signs. Saturn, uh, Saturn is in its domicile in Capricorn, which is a cardinal sign, which is more than flexible. It's ready to start something new. You know, flexibility, the mutable signs, is about adapting to what's out there. But, but um, Capricorn being a cardinal sign, it's ready to basically move in any direction it thinks it needs to, even if reality isn't moving that way yet. So there is, uh, there is its flexibility, and its rigidity is the fact that it's also at home in Aquarius, which is a fixed sign. And so in a, in, in a way, Saturn, which is represented by that symbol which of the cross of the material universe and that backwards-looking S hanging from the cross, you know, the cross is a symbol of, of, of rigidity. Uh, the, the cardinal cross doesn't change. In astrology, the ascendant, descendant, MC, and IC, those points are rigid. Everything else moves to those points. And so then the cross in Saturn, and there's actually a cross in Jupiter too, represent that which doesn't change. But with Saturn, there's that kind of, that, that curve hangs off of it that makes it look like a backwards TS, and that's everything that does change. So the magic, the power of Saturn is allowing for change in a structure that doesn't change. And of course, the danger of Saturn is either not holding on to the structure and things dissipating. That's a danger of a, of a Saturn that's not strong enough to define boundaries, personal boundaries, uh, to follow the rules, to follow the laws of the land, whether you, whether you believe they're mm, um, right law or not. Saturn, the contract of Saturn is that when you're living in dad's home, you follow dad's rules. You know, when you go off on your own, then you become your own Saturn in a way, can create your own rules, but you still have to follow the laws of the land, even if you think they're not morally right, or you can suffer the consequences um, of, of breaking the law. So that's the fixed side of Saturn. But the flexible side of Saturn is that if Saturn becomes too flexible, it dissipates. No boundaries, no rules, it just, it, it just falls away. If Saturn becomes too rigid, it dies because the flexibility occurs from that breathing process of the expansion of Jupiter, the contraction of Saturn, that, that ongoing process of meeting, bumping up to the boundaries and then pulling back, moving up to the boundaries, maybe even pushing on them a little bit so they change a little bit, but then pulling back. And if you are too rigid and don't adapt and don't change to the changing times, changing circumstances, changing laws, changing values. Well, that in itself is its own form of death. And we all know people who have Saturn that airs 
that's airs, e, not A-I-R, a, a, but E-R-E, that airs on one side or another, because those people who are very, in Freudian terms, anal retentive, very, very holding in of their stuff, very um, rigid and fixed, those people sometimes have a hard time being happy because they're so afraid of losing the, the structure that they rely on to give them a sense of reality. And then the flip side of that are people who Freud would call, you know, um, uh, oral, an oral um, personality, which basically doesn't have any boundaries. There's that, that whole sense of going with the flow, which I love because an aberrated going with the flow um, reminds me of that saying, only dead fish go with the flow. There's a time to go with the flow, but there's a time to be rigid. And that's what a healthy Saturn really is. It's, it's the intelligence of relying on your experience and experienced people's experiences to help you be a better judge of when to uh, hold and when to fold, <laughs> when to when when to hold on to the ego, the ego which gets a lot of bad rap in modern times. The new age community is very down on ego, and yet without ego, we don't eat, we don't pay rent, we don't we don't have any longevity because ego is that part. It's the Saturnian part that keeps the Rick Levine game going, you know. And at some point in time, well, it makes sense for. Rick Levine to let go of that game, whether it's when I learned something new that I didn't know, which I'm doing a lot of these days, as many of us are, um, or whether it's falling in love, or whether it's physically dying, or whether it's giving up your control um, to someone who is is masterful in whatever is needed in that moment where you're saying, I, you, you, you take controls for a bit, I'm just going to be on the raft and you, you do it, you know, you steer. Um, you know, all of those are forms of ego death. And those are all healthy forms of ego death. But there's a time when, you know, when Amanda has to come and be Amanda and Rick has to be Rick. And that's healthy ego. Mm. All right. That one. That was like a whole. That was really. That was. That was great. You just riffed on stay bouncy, and it just took us so many places. (laughs) So great. So let's talk about stepping into new territory. Why are you saying that for right now? Yeah. Well, we are stepping in new territory. Look, we've been in new territory um, since since. Uh, since Saturn entered Capricorn where Pluto was, there was already a feeling like this is, we've not been here before. You know, we've been stuck though, since the beginning of the year, since the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in January, um, we've been kind of held in check by a series of retrogrades and make no mistake, we're not out of the larger flow yet because Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn are all still retrograde. Um, But we've had Mercury go retrograde retrograde and direct in this time. We've had Mercury go retrograde and direct again. We're just at the front end of a new Mercury direct cycle. Um, We've had Venus go retrograde and Venus is still in the same sign it's been in since what? Since April. Normally Venus whizzes through a sign in, you know, three weeks or something like that. Um, uh, three or four weeks, but um, but Venus is still in in Gemini where she's been forever. But I think we're at the we're at a bit of a turning point because 
Saturn, after it joined up with Jupiter, or let's say, I'm sorry, Saturn, after it joined up with Pluto back in January, Saturn moved on into Aquarius. And there were glimpses of all these new things. I mean, this is really the front end of social distancing. And when that all kind of began to hit, and with Saturn and Aquarius, we got a flavor of the humanitarian side, the, the equality side of Saturn wanting structure that we hadn't seen. I mean, well, we've, we've never not seen it, but we, it hasn't seen this flourishing in the media, um, uh, perhaps since Rodney King, when Saturn was in Aquarius the previous time. And so we have the, you know, what started off, you know, back as the Me Too movement and, um, and then this uh, um, pandemic of fear with its primary symptom being this virus that's kind of the projection of all of our fears. And I'm not saying that there's, you know, that I'm not saying there's not a virus running around and that's another whole story we could get into some other time. But all of this is, is, is basically about Saturn, Saturn, Pluto boundaries. And you see Saturn's now back in Capricorn. And so as Saturn moves back in Capricorn, or as it moved back in, into Capricorn in the beginning of July, where it will be until mid-December, when it then moves into Aquarius, Jupiter then moves into Aquarius, and Jupiter and Saturn align in Aquarius. And that's the finality to this chapter of the book. Or maybe it's the finality to this book in a larger set, <laughs> you know, a, a series of books. But right now in, in July... Um, in mid-July, actually around the new moon on July 20th, um, we have a bit of a punctuation mark that it may not be the period at the end of the sentence. Um, it may not be um, the restaurant at the end of the galaxy, that, that final point on whatever, you know, on whatever this whole phase is. But it's a turning point that moves us into new territory. And what's the new territory? The new territory is up until now, with a taste of Saturn moving into Aquarius, the, the territory that we've been in has been basically an axis of Cancer and Capricorn. Even the nodes for the past year and a half were in Cancer and Capricorn, and Pluto and Saturn in, uh, in Capricorn, and we had the uh, full moon uh, eclipse with the full moon in Capricorn opposing the sun in Cancer. We've had this retrograde Mercury in Cancer, um, in effect opposite the sign of Capricorn. And this new moon on July 20th, occurs at 28 and a half degrees of cancer. That's like a degree and a half away from being in Leo. And it occurs with Saturn at 28 and a half degrees of Capricorn. There's about a 12 minute, which is a quarter of a degree difference in it being exact, but it's pretty damn close. I mean, it's so close that the actual new moon itself um, occurs at 1.32 p.m., and that's Eastern time, 1.32 p.m. on Monday, that's this coming Monday, Ju July 20th. And the moon um, opposes Saturn just uh, literally a few minutes later. Um, the, the, the new moon is at 1.32 p.m., and the, and, the, and the moon opposes Saturn at 1.54 p.m. That's like a half hour later. Uh, it's less than a half an hour later. 
And then the sun opposes um, Saturn. So we have the moon opposing Saturn um, at 154. And then the, the sun opposes Saturn at 630 that same evening. And so this energy which polarizes that which has already been polarized. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean the axis between Cancer and Capricorn. And the Cancer-Capricorn axis, I say axis because they're polar points. Every sign has its opposite. Um, you don't get Aries without Libra. You don't get Taurus without Scorpio. In fact, when you talk about the Taurus possessions, personal set, you know, that one's own sense, you also have its projection point, and that's the other. Aries is me, you know, Libra is me and you. Uh, Gemini is my thoughts and how I move around in my environment. environment. It's opposite point. Sagittarius is extending that outward into the outer world. It's the bigger ideas, the bigger travel, the, you know, uh, and, and, and so when we get to Cancer and Capricorn, that axis of polarity is really ultimately significant because it's the axis that brings in the closest moving, fastest moving planet. And I use the word planet in the Greek sense, planeta, anything that wanders up there. So the sun and moon are included. So the moon is the fastest moving celestial body. And the moon is at home. Her domicile is Cancer. And the opposite sign, Capricorn, is Saturn's home. And so we have this dilemma between, and a dilemma. Do you, do you know the word dilemma? Do you know what that means? No. Well, you know what it means, but do you know where? Well, yes. So, no, I know you're going you're gonna to decode it for us. Well, so, so if you have a dilemma, you need to know what a lemma is because a die is two of them. <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> okay. Yes. So a lemma is a statement in a Greek proof. You know, in, if, if anyone who ever took, I think probably in ninth or 10th grade, most people take geometry. And in geometry, you have to do things like prove this line is parallel to that line or prove that this triangle is congruent, um, similar to this triangle, things like that. In order to make those proofs, which are, which are forms of Greek reasoning or logic, in order to do that, we make statements. We go, this line is this, that's one. Secondly, then we go, this line is blah, blah, blah. That's the second. Each line in a proof is a lemma. Wow, okay. You get to one lemma that goes two ways and you're fucked. <laughs> you're done. Because, because if one lemma splits off in two different ways, then you lose your ability to prove something because it goes in two different ways. A dilemma is a statement that has an inherent opposite. Um, uh, it has an inherent opposite, inherent opposite within it, so that it's like this is a dilemma because I've reached this point and I obviously need to go that way, but I need to go that way too. Mm. Mm. And so the dilemma here, the two lemmas are basically the closest in thing celestially and the farthest out thing that we can perceive with our um, unaided, untechnically extended, uh, untechnologically extended uh, senses, and that would be Saturn. 
Remember, Saturn was the ultimate limit. Until, um, in, in, until the telescope was invented, until we began to use external technologies to magnify um, our biological senses, Saturn was the, the outward limit. It was the circumference around reality that said nothing past this is alive because nothing moved past Saturn. From Saturn, you went to the what, what the ancients called the fixed sphere, the celestial sphere of stars. The stars were fixed, they didn't move, the planets wandered. And so we moderners don't quite grasp how important Saturn was we could begin to get a sense of how important it was if we go to the Hellenistic tradition and we realize that, that, that the Greeks knew, I was going to say they believed, but they knew that when the soul came into the earth plane to be incarnated, incarnated means in meat. You know, I, I think of our incarnation as consciousness con carne. <laughs> That's what we are. We're consciousness with meat. Now, as consciousness, and we have a bias. We think that consciousness should always have meat, but consciousness doesn't have that bias. We have that bias. Anyhow, so the Greeks knew or believed, if that makes you feel better, that the soul came into the earth plane by coming through a series of filters or gates and the first gate that it had to come through to, in order to, to, um, to be experienced in the material three-dimensional world was the gate of Saturn. And Saturn and Satan are etymologically similar for a good reason, because Satan is the divine form that has fallen from grace. Um, you know, we think of Lucifer, um, in effect, as, as the angel. Now, angels are just beings that are non-physical. Angels are spirits without bodies. And we think of Lucifer as a fallen angel. Well, what that really means is that, is that Lucifer and or Satan are basically light energies that have come in through the gate of Saturn. Saturn is the ultimate gateway. And in fact, the uh, Greeks said then, you know, consciousness or these souls came through the gates of Saturn, then Jupiter, Mars, and blah, 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 all the way down to, to Earth. Boom, here we are. When we die, when we, when, uh, when we're, when we become disincarnated uh, prior to maybe being reincarnated, remember, carnate, carnos, carnus just simply means meat. Um, so, when we become disincarnated, I say we, when our consciousness leaves the body, it goes through those same series of things. And once it's on the other side of Saturn, it's free from the three-dimensional material world. Now, why are we talking about that? Because every 33 to 38 years, Saturn catches up with Pluto. When we had telescopes starting in the um, mid-18th century, we began to discover Uranus and Neptune and Pluto and Chiron and Eris and, and Kericlo and, and, and a Gazillion and, and Juno and Ceres and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of other things that the ancients had no idea were there, but they're all there. And if one believes that everything is connected to everything, then there's no limit 
to the things that are connected, which is why Descartes was wrong. We'll never be able to reduce an infinite external universe into knowing everything by just having the mathematical formulas because there's always variables that are outside of our um, sensorial grasp or reach. So every 33 to 38 years, Saturn catches up with Pluto, and Pluto is that ultimate transformation. And Saturn is boundary. Saturn is the gate. It's the gate between here and there. Saturn is the dividing line between, between fact and fiction. Saturn is the dividing line between life and death. Saturn is the grim reaper. Saturn is karma. It's you get what you deserve. You either deserve heaven or hell. This is, this is the gate of Saturn. Well, when Pluto, when Saturn rubs up against Pluto every uh, three times a century, um, <laughs> the boundaries shift. And so it's interesting because in our short lifespans, we think that Saturn's boundaries are reality. Whereas when we look back through history and from other cultural perspectives, we begin to realize that, that the boundaries that we use to create our sense of reality is what is based on what biologists would call a reality tunnel, that we just have one tunnel of what reality looks like. And every time Saturn bumps up against Pluto, boundaries bump up against each other and we have to change what we believe the boundaries actually are. Now, once every uh, uh, 500 years or so, Saturn and Pluto line up in the sign of Capricorn, which is Saturn's own sign. So theoretically, it's going to be stronger. Um, Saturn also catches up with Jupiter every 20 years. This is another rhythm. Um, and Saturn and Jupiter have their own cycle that every four and a half centuries, they change elements and that's another cycle. Well, each one of these are all happening kind of at the same time. And so Saturn, the keeper of the boundary, Saturn, the, um, the illusion that there is reality. Albert Einstein said reality is an illusion albeit a very persistent one, um, th that Saturn right now is going through some major, we think we're going through major shit. Saturn's going through major stuff because Saturn has not only had to do this dance, you know, with the Lord of the underworld and dissolve his or her boundaries, but is also doing all kinds of other stuff. And we've been Mm, suffering um, the results of trying to hold on to what we thought was real as these boundaries around us are changing. These boundaries include the boundaries of our physical body being invaded by fear or being invaded by the mechanical deliverer of fear in these days, which would be a particular viral form that is basically stirring up this unconscious fear. Um, and so, so that is one of the Saturn-Pluto, and incidentally, Saturn-Pluto cycle often brings up um, viral invasions that confront people with their ineffectual ability um, to create boundaries, including Black Death and polio um, uh, endemics and, and, and pandemics, and including uh, the Spanish flu and, and, and other things. Um, so this is not uncommon, but also now, because there's so many other things tied to this, we're also being confronted by the fact that the reality tunnel that we have created in the United States is really a tunnel that is in the process of being blasted 
open whether we're willing to let it be blasted open or not. This is not about a personal preference here because history will be the ultimate um, judge of what it was that happened here at the beginning of the 21st century. And it appears that the reality tunnel that we had of humanity in, I'd say in the United States, but I really want to say in the Western world, which includes the, uh, the, the European world, the, the uh, Scandinavian world, the, the entire new, um, um, Americas, North America, even South America, even Australia, although it's in the other hemisphere, we've created this reality tunnel that says this is the history of the world. And in doing so, we've eliminated layers and layers and layers of complex histories that we've just simply shunted aside. Um, there's this brilliant um, talk, it's a TED talk, uh, by a guy named Wade Davis. Does that name mean anything to you? Have you ever heard or seen Wade Davis? Okay, you can go to TED and you, uh, you know to to the you know TED.com and look for this Wade Davis talk. It's like being shot out of a rocket ship. I um, I I have a hard time sometimes paying attention to lectures that are not interesting to me. Um, and I was at a conference that I spoke at I don't know maybe 10, 12 years ago, uh, where Wade Davis was one of the other lecturers. It was a TED-like conference. And um, I had some work that I was doing kind of in my lap in the back of the auditorium. I had my papers out and, and Wade Davis gets on and he starts talking and I held my pen in my hand and about two minutes into his talk where I was like this, I finally just put my pen down, put the paper down and I, I was blown away. Anyhow, Wade Davis um, is a, a PhD um, um, uh, what do you call a person who studies uh, human, uh, not archaeologist, anthropologist? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know who. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for feeding me the right piece of information at the right time. So Wade Davis, I think, was kind of considered to be, you know, like 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 a handpicked successor, although he didn't follow that role of Margaret Mead. He was like one of her wonderkins, and he was a Harvard trained. Um, anthropologist, and he had the coolest, he has a business card cooler than mine. I have a cool business card. His business card simply says, Wade Davis, it's a National Geographic um, logo, because that's his full-time employee, uh, or at least it was then, and his title is Explorer in Residence. Mm. And Wade Davis um, is, has, I mean, he's been everywhere and had uh, and like he said, he says, I, you know, I'm, I'm an anthropologist. And when I go live with a tribe, I do whatever they're doing. I take whatever they're taking. I've, I've had substances that I can't say were psychedelic because there was no one home to say they were anything by the time I took it, you know. Um, and but but his point, his word, and I, I don't know whether he created this word or not, but this is why I'm bringing Wade Davis into this at all. The word that I learned through him was the word ethnosphere, ethnosphere. And his lament in this talk was that every day, every week, every month, ethnospheres are disappearing, going instinct, just like species, and we don't even know it. And that every time someone speaks 
a lost language for the last time because they're the last person alive speaking that language. It's not just the language that dies. It's an entire psychological, cosmological landscape that disappears. Are you with me? Yes, absolutely. That's what we are realizing now, although it's not in those terms. And again, I recommend anyone go out to the TED, you know, uh, find Wade, easy word, I mean, easy name, Wade, W-A-D-E Davis, um, and listen to his, it's, it's a typical TED talk. It's, what, what is it, uh, 18 minutes long? Um, that's what they all are. And it's a rocket ship ride. We are all like Wade Davis realizing, or if you're paying attention, I can't say we all, because there's a lot of people who are just burying their heads further in the sands of denial, just trying to hold on to this lost world that they never really had, but they've created such an important reality construct around it that, that they don't have a clue as to what's really going on in the world. And they will do anything to prevent themselves from going there, dinosaurs. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, which became extinct. Um, so here's the thing with this Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter conjunction, we are taking on the singular vision of the authority that's created the illusion of the dominance of the Indo-European Western colonial imperialistic capitalistic I you can put on as many words onto that as as you want um, but we're we're realizing that that is not that it wasn't a valuable thing for some time for some people um, but we're realizing that that's just one view. And that's really what's happening to us is that, is that it's like we're being um, exploded. You know, the word psychedelic has nothing to do with drugs, although people think psychedelic drugs. Psychedelic simply means in Greek, expanding mind. Psyche, mind, delia, it's, it's the expansion of mind. And this is a psychedelic experience if you're paying attention, you do not have to take any substances. You just have to have an open mind and that's what's going on. So how does this all come up to the new moon and why is that so important in this? It's important because when you have a cluster like a Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn conjunction, which has specific dates where Saturn was conjoined with, um, with Pluto mid-January, and then Jupiter lined up with Pluto in early April, and then it did again the end of June, and it will again mid-November, and then Jupiter catches up with Saturn um, in, uh, on the solstice in December, um, the day before your bet with um, Anne comes true, because that's what, when she said December 22nd, she meant after the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, and everyone will know what it is. I don't think it'll be that quick and that simple, but it's the movement of these planets into Aquarius that will leave this psychedelic trip that we've all been on behind. However, anyone that's done any form of, of meditation, growth work, yoga, um, uh, psychedelic drugs even, knows that the actual experience is only one piece it's the assimilation and integration of that for days, weeks, months, maybe a lifetime afterwards. That's the that that's the that's fueled um, by that energy. And I think though, 
that we're still in the midst of being fueled. However, back to the Cancer Capricorn axis is this is the ultimate axis of the inside to outside. You see, the moon is everything inside. The moon is our feelings. It's our guts. It's everything inside the protective walls of our home. The moon is everything inside the protective uh, nurturing of the womb of the mother. It's everything inside the protection of the local family or tribe or community or even homeland. But all of everything that is lunar is subjective and interior. That's cancer, the crab hard outer shell to protect the inner mush. It's either mush or mush. I guess it's mush. Where does the word mush come from? All right. Saturn, on the other hand, is the skeleton that allows us to actually go out into the outer world. Saturn is the social structure that we climb upon. Saturn being Capricorn, the mountain goat that sees a mountain and says, I need to get to the top of that mountain because there is a hierarchy up there, while the crab is very happy staying within its shell and just being protected from the tides. And so it's this dilemma of the internal external, of the protect the homeland, the family, the family values, um, uh, all of that kind of inward stuff, the emotions, the feelings um, versus the rules of the land and the nation states and what's out there. Now, when we have an alignment, I actually started to say this before and then drifted off. When we have an alignment like a Jupiter-Pluto-Saturn or let's say a Saturn-Jupiter-Pluto, you can put them whatever order you want, um, conjunction, those points actually become sensitized and they stay sensitized just like a natal chart when you when you're born you know if you're born with the moon at nine degrees of taurus right now uranus in the sky is coming through that area it's just gone over nine degrees of taurus and you're sensitized to that point well the same thing occurs when there are these heavyweight planets that hold positions, conjunctions in particular, for a long period of time, time they sensitize those points. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, we had these same degrees of Capricorn sensitized um, by then Uranus and Neptune and actually Saturn uh, 30 some odd years ago um, going through Capricorn. And so that point is being resensitized now. That's the connection, the Rodney King connection, just one of many, there are others. But what that means is that during the years in, um, around those conjunctions, whenever faster moving planets make hard aspects, hard aspects meaning conjunctions, oppositions, squares, even half squares and square and a halfs, but let's just stick with the um, conjunction squares and oppositions. They highlight that energy. So this new moon in Cancer is at a time where the sun over the past few weeks, the sun actually opposed um, Jupiter um, exactly uh, last week. Um, let's see, the sun, um, the sun, uh, here it is, the sun opposed Jupiter on July 14th. So we're recording this on the 16th, that was two days ago. The sun opposed Jupiter, that's the first of the three planets in this outer planet cluster. So the sun opposed Jupiter on the 14th, 
It then opposed Pluto on the 15th. And, you know, what does that do? The sun opposes Jupiter. Things come out, out in the open big time. Not that they haven't been already since Jupiter already lined up with Pluto. Jupiter's expansive. It amplifies, it magnifies, it makes bigger. Pluto is all those things that have been buried. Jupiter lining up with Pluto takes those things that have been buried and it like bubbles. It actually makes them get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens when something becomes bubbly, we're back to being bubbly. Uh, no, that was bouncy. The bubble rises, but as it rises, the bubble expands. Ask anyone who's done any scuba diving or go down to 30 feet and let out a little bit of air and this bubble this big by the time it gets to the surface is that big because it expands. By the same token, these things that have been buried and compressed, remember Pluto is the planet of compression. Pluto is not large, it's dense. And as the energy comes to the surface, by the time it hits the surface, it explodes, it pops into reality. So over the last few days, we've had the sun opposing Jupiter, big ideas, opposing Pluto, dealing with the um, heaviness, with the, with the power structure, with the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, with the darker side, with, the, with, with all those things that have been suppressed or repressed. That was yesterday, and it will be another four or five days until that sun actually reaches its opposition with Saturn. And at that same time, the moon on a much faster cycle is coming around and it is lining up with the sun. And so here's what happens is that just hours after that alignment is exact, after the new moon in Cancer, opposite Saturn in Capricorn, after the moon opposes Saturn, which is a half an hour after the new moon, after the sun opposes Saturn, which is a few hours after the new moon, what happens next is that the moon, just three hours after the new moon, moves into Leo. <gasps> a whole new world. And then a day later, day and a half later, the sun leaves the opposition and it moves into Leo. And this is why we're moving into new territory, because that moon represents on some level the last gasp of this old rhythm that's not gone away. It's not gone away. We still got a lot of stuff to deal with. It, it, it'll take weeks, months, years, decades, okay, maybe even centuries for this stuff to fully process. You know, therapy cures do not happen overnight, even, there are, even though there are moments of epiphany when we go, oh my God, I got it. Well, that's great, but the body still holds on to the tensions. You know, the body doesn't get rid of the experiences that it had, you know, for 30 years or for 400 years, you know, just because someone has said, oh, that's interesting. You know, I see it now from your point of view. I never quite thought of it that way before. Well, that's a great start. And these epiphanies are what's happening, but they're just a start. However, it's my contention that this new moon gives us the opportunity to put another piece of finality on the awareness and the recognition that we are, I'm gonna say, without any disrespect to this particular state, we're no longer in Kansas. 
uh, Dorothy, Wizard of Oz. You know, this, this is not Kansas anymore. Um, th th things have changed. And we're not going to be able to go back to the way things were because the way things were, were not okay. It's like saying, it's like being an adult and saying, I lost my job and my wife or husband just left me and I have a kid who's sick. This is awful. I just want to go back to the safety of my home when I was a kid. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. When I was a kid, my older brother beat me up and abused me and my dad was my parents were both alcoholics and I mean, whatever, I'm not, um, it, we all have our stories, but we can't go back to the way things were because they're only, they're only a thing we want to go back to because of what Freud called um, infantile regression. We think that was what was in the past was safer and better, but it wasn't necessarily, this is a call to go forward into new territory, knowing that we don't know what we need to do to survive in this new world. Mm. It's like Cameron Allen said at the 2020 forecast, we need to find safety in uncertainty. Instead yeah. of finding safety in certainty, which is what we normally do, it's, it's know that there is actually safety in the unknown. Yeah. Because the known, because not only is the known uh, more dysfunctional than we're, we're allowing ourselves to think about, but it's also not even what was actually happening. And, and I think that's the interesting thing is to have that reality bubble, as you say, it's, it's blowing up. It changes forever, even the way we, re we remember what it was, because now it has a whole nother context. Rich, I was, uh, Rich, my God, Rick, I was wondering if another push-pull between this Capricorn cancer axis is a new understanding or definition or experience of the truth that our internal reality is creating our external reality. So there's, the, there's this push-pull between the internal and the external. And yes, it's about protecting that internal, but what about, what about reorienting ourselves with the internal and recognizing that it has a lot more authority to create the external? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm grinning a little bit because I think what you're saying is true, but God, if anyone's been paying attention for the last um, 50 years, they know that. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people don't, they might know that theoretically, but they're not living that way. And I think that I that's, that, and the, I think the interesting thing to have happening right now is that the external reality in so many circumstances is so distasteful that that recognizing that there are things within ourselves that need to be transformed in order for that external reality to shift in a way that we want it to it's yes. it's it, it's it's gone from like a really nice idea to an imperative that yeah yeah no i think i i think the the thing here to understand and a lot of people have been saying this from the beginning of the uh covid-19 um uh dilemma fiasco uh, it can't be a quarantine you know because a quarantine means 40 days so uh you know quaranta is a, a italian uh for 40 i remember when you first said that in the beginning and we hadn't yet been in quote unquote quarantine for 40 days and i remember saying gosh, it actually might be longer than that. And, and thinking that that felt like, you know. Yeah, there's another reason why this isn't a quarantine either. And that is a quarantine is basically something that's imposed on someone who's sick. 
and this is something that's being imposed on everyone. That's another whole thing. The word quarantine is a little misleading for those people who know what the word quarantine means. Regardless, um, when all that began um, unfolding, there was certainly uncertainty and unknowns. Um, and I totally forgot where I was going. What were, we, what were you just saying? I totally lost The it. internal and external reality. Uh, yeah, so when that began to unfold, there were a lot of people in this, in our community who were rushing to this perspective that um, is like, this is not about a virus. This is a great awakening. This is a pause. We can be quiet. We can go inward. And I, a lot of that wanted to make me puke. Um, not because I was sick, <laughs> but because it was an example of privileged people talking because a lot of people didn't have that option that they couldn't not work. They couldn't go out into an environment that was laced with fear, whether it was laced with, with virus or not, that they still had to go out and, um, and live in that external environment. And yet, and nevertheless, there was a truth there. And the truth behind it is that it's never about what's happening out there. It's always about what's happening in here. And, and actually during this time, more people than usual, maybe still not enough, actually had time to realize that there is something happening in here when I don't put all of my energy out there every day. So I'm so exhausted by the time I come home, all I do is watch TV, drink a beer and fall asleep or whatever it is that, that one might do. Um, but it does forget about how large a percentage of the population did not and still does not have that choice. Um, that there are people who have been in spite of what's going on getting up every day and fearfully, you know, getting dressed and going out either to, you know, an emergency room or to the fire department um, or to uh, their work as a policeman, God forbid I should say that out loud, but whatever, without judgments as to whether what they're doing is right or wrong, they're going out and doing stuff without the choice of being able to go inward. However, there's no question that in this 21st century world of understanding consciousness as a form of, con of quantum reductionism. Look that term up, Google that. Quantum reductionist thinking, um, the whole movement. Um, there is no out there, out there. There is no out there, out there, out there is in here. Boom, done. And so from that standpoint, um, as Jung said, we've talked about this last week or the week before, you know, the way you fix what's out there is by fixing what's in here. Unfortunately, the out there doesn't fully conform until every in here has been fixed, which means that if I'm working on fixing in here and we're never fixed, it's never an all or nothing thing. It's like the onion that's constantly growing new layers. And, you know, how many times have you run into uh, new agers who said, yeah, I've done the work. I, you know, I've healed that, you know, 20 years later them going, huh, why am I, why am I experiencing this all over again? Because it's never done. It's not a one-time thing. Um, enlightenment as the Dzogchen practitioner, Dzogchen being a form of Vajrayana Buddhism, as Dzogchen practitioners will tell us, enlightenment only always and can ever happen in every present moment. 
It's the power of now, it's be here now stated differently. So back to this, I need to continue to do the work on myself as fraught with shortcomings as any human being is, recognizing what our awesome parts of ourself are, focusing on them while working on that other stuff. Because when I do that on me, then the people around me have an environment where they can do that on them. And you see, we don't, it, 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 it's basically Mahayana Buddhism. No one gets off the wheel until everyone gets off the wheel. There is no peace out there in the real world not until I have peace. You can do the John Lennon, the war is over and I'm, and I've declared everything cool. That's great for a day, a week or a month. But the fact of the matter is that there, even though there's no out there, out there, the out there that's in here is always being impacted by everyone else's in there that they're projecting out there. It's like we're all in this dream and we're all being dreamed simultaneously by everyone else's dream while we're having the dream of everyone else in our dream. And how does that work? It's magic, like everything else in the world. Well, I can just see as this is happening, this last Cancer New Moon, it's, it's, it's this of this year, it's this opportunity to change that reference point. So if we've always, because people are always feeling like Saturn's happening to us, right? Yeah, so but it's, it's, not it's, just a, it's not just the last um, Cancer New Moon of... It's all the oppositions, right? It's, it's the last Cancer New Moon opposition to Saturn in 28 years. Right, right. So then, so again, so this opportunity to reorient and realize, and again, I think a lot of people realize this theoretically, but, but when it's actually happening and there's things happening out there that feel like they're happening to us, it's really hard to pull, reel that in and then do the maybe work. Impossible, to, maybe impossible at times. Impossible I mean, at times. We, even when we do all the work that we do, we still you know, someone throws the right hook in the right direction at the right time at the right place. And we go, that's mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And there we are, we're hooked. Yes. I mean, it, 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 it happens. I mean, it happens to the best of us. That's for sure. Yeah. All of us. Now, one other um, thing I, I don't want to not get this point across is that although the sun moves into Leo um, after this new moon, by the beginning of August, actually by July 30th, Mercury, which is direct in Cancer, after having retrograded all the way back to early degrees of Cancer, Mercury, which is now direct, by the end of July, beginning of August, Mercury on July 30th is exactly opposed to Jupiter, which is the earliest degree of the Jupiter-Pluto-Saturn. And on August, on July 30th, the moon, this is two weeks after the, um, after the uh, new moon, the moon is now moving toward full, but the moon's now in Capricorn. So the end of July, August 1st, August 2nd, 3rd, the moon is going to, on August 1st, the moon is going to align with Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn, while Mercury in Cancer 
is opposing Pluto and that Jupiter, um, then Pluto and then Saturn. So even though there's not a new moon, we're going to get another run of the same shit on another level that's even deeper and wider and so on. And then, of course, um, uh, Venus, which is now moving direct, Venus actually leaves Capricorn after being there for since April. Uh, I'm sorry, Venus leaves Gemini after being there since April. Venus moves into Cancer, and Venus is really moving along at a good clip right then. And by the end of August, actually, um, by August 24th, 25th, Venus is opposed Jupiter. Then it is by August 30th opposed Pluto. By that same time, <laughs> lo and behold, that's exactly when the moon is coming back through Capricorn again, you know, another month down the road. And then Venus opposes Saturn um, on September 1st. And of course, during this whole time, we now have Mars slowing down and getting ready for its retrograde. So we're by far not done but we're getting the first wave of this being new territory and we can't go back to the way things were because the way things were, weren't the way we want them to be. Sorry if you I know, interrupted you again, but it's no, like I, needed to I don't even know if you did. Don't worry about it. And I, and um, I, and I'm done. I can go wherever you want to go now because I've said my piece. Uh, well, I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> so I have a comment and then I have a question. Um, so and I, I have a question for all of you, too, because Saturn has been literally sitting right on my sun and Venus. So my Saturn is at 29 degrees. of. I'm, I'm sorry. My sun is 29 degrees Capricorn. My Venus is 28 degrees Capricorn. And so Saturn's been like right there. And I'd love to know everyone's experience of Saturn this year, because for me, it has literally felt like a presence that is like, Yes, no, yes, no. Like it's, the, it, it's like what you talked about, I think last month about walking a tightrope and getting very clear uh, feedback when we're about to fall off. And so in that way, it's, it's nice because, because the, the little alleyway feels really narrow, but at the same time, it's like, it's the, like the taskmaster just sitting there um, at all times. I don't know if that's specific to having it sitting right on my sun and my Venus, but well, I think everybody's it, feeling it. it. It's that way for everyone to some extent, but if it's sitting on your sun and your Venus, it's actually sitting on my Jupiter, which is at 29 Capricorn also. And, and, and if I were your astrologer, um, and I know that you have a staff of them, so I don't feel special <laughs> as to being your astrologer. But if I were your astrologer, I, I, I would suggest to you that you're not really a Capricorn. You're really an Aquarius wannabe. <laughs> I'll totally take it. That's so, fine. <laughs> it's so close to Aquarius. It's um, Well, I have Aquarius rising too. So, okay. So, okay. okay. Next question. Next. I've talked to a lot of people that are feeling exhausted, like not even just kind of tired, but like dead exhausted. And is, what would you say that is attributable to right now? I think that's attributable to a, reality that is exhausting us. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know if I can say that's attributed, attribute, I can't even say that, attributable to any one particular planet. There's, I mean, we, th these times for reasons even beyond what we have talked about going back to 
the Uranus-Pluto conjunction of the mid-60s and how that set up the Uranus-Pluto squares from 2012 to 2015 and the Occupy uh, Wall Street and and the Arab Spring and all of the and and Ferguson, Missouri, and I'm only picking a couple of I don't want to say dumb pieces, but the, but those are only spikes that that fed back to what happened that was so important then. I mean, we are at a confluence of energies that is um, exhausting, you know. And if someone doesn't feel exhausted then they're either doing some sort of super drug something or other, you know, or they're in denial because this is an exhausting period of time. And yet we cannot succumb to the exhaustion. That's the amazing thing about, um, about human beings. Maybe it's the amazing thing about anything that is animated, um, whether it has self-awareness or not. It seems that life perpetuates its own state. And even if we are exhausted, we're not going to just roll over and go, okay, well, I'm tired now. I'm going to go to sleep and wake. I've heard several people say, I just want to put, you know, January of, you know, 2026 on my calendar and wake up then, you know, it's, it's like people are exhausted. I totally, I totally, yeah. get it. I totally agree with you. And I really do not think that there is an easy way out of this um, it is, um, it is just the way things are right now. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's where we are. Well, and I think if you can give yourself permission to rest, I mean, I've, I've taken more naps recently than I ever do. And normally I don't let myself do that, you know, take a nap in the middle of the day, but these days it's like kind of need 20 minutes. I'm just going to lay down. Yeah. So, I've, I've been doing that some too. And yet. I still feel even with all of the less running around that I've done, um, I, on some level, I feel more weary than, than, than ever. You know, it's like intellectually, we can know that everything out there is an illusion, <laughs> you know, but it's still impacting us. Yeah. You know, we still, we, we still don't have money to pay rent. We still have so-and-so's, brother who just died of, of a virus. Um, we still know of people who know of people, or, I mean, I actually know people who have had multiple people in their, you know, close environment, um, if not die, be incredibly sick for a long period of time. So, um, uh, and, and, and so I think that, that part of this whole thing is uh, finding a place where we can, again, go back to the dilemma of the inner and the outer, knowing that they can't be resolved, but knowing that they are one. How do we do that? When we get close to closing, I want to close with a poem that I think addresses that. Well, I think we should, I think we should do that right now. So, I mean, we're coming up on the new moon. There, oh, oh no, I have a very important question before we go to the poem. Very important. Does it have to do you, with my Instagram account? <laughs> close. It has to do with your business card because earlier you said you have a really cool business card but this uh, Wade Davis has an even cooler business card. So it? we need to know what it is. Yours. Um, do I have one handy to show you? <laughs> um, I, I, what does it say? Well, it's not what it says. It's what oh, it says. it's how it looks. But it's both. Let's see if this if this shows. Does does that show at all? Yes. Oh, that is cool. 
That is really cool. So it's actually actually me sitting up against that wall with some absolutely amazing photography and lighting. There's no Photoshop in this, but, 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 but people look at this and go, wow, that looks like Hogwarts or wow, that looks wizardly or what? No, it's just my home. And then this is what it says. I don't know if you can read that. Rick Levine wizard. That's it. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I vote um, for yours. Well, okay. but 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 people need to go watch the Wade Davis thing because it's just this guy is just brilliant. He I know I have I have Mercury in Aries with Gemini rising, and I know that when I talk sometimes I don't I don't slow down for commas, periods, end of sentences. I just rant. I continue to go. My mind is well. Wade Davis makes me look like like um, like someone who is on some sort of slow motion drug. That's wow. How I- that's how amazing he is. That's hard to believe. So, so essentially this new moon is this punctuation point, not the end of the sentence, not the end of the paragraph, not the end of the chapter, but a punctuation point. I, I, I love to use the dot, dot, dots when I write my emails and stuff. So maybe it's a dot, dot, dot that's leaving, leading us to the next phase of this reality or this, this deepening into the understanding that our reality has completely changed and that it's not going back to what it was, that what it was, wasn't even what we thought it was. And going forward, we can, we can start moving. I mean, I asked this question I mean, all the retrogrades that are happening, there's really not a period of time this whole year where there's not significant retrogrades, correct? Because even when things start to move direct, then Mars is retrograde. Yeah, Mars turns direct, I think, in November, I think. So there may be a period of time. I think I don't know when. I I, I, I can tell you. I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but but no, actually, not, Anna, on, Anna and I went through spot. it. It doesn't look like it until like January that we're not having at least several retrogrades happening. Um, yeah, Mars goes direct in November, and and the only planet uh, Neptune is still Neptune and Uranus and Chiron. Um, our retrograde Neptune goes direct the beginning the uh, the, uh, the very end of November um, Uranus stays retrograde um, through the end of the year and um, and into that somewhere else we have another Mercury retrograde um, and that would be um, in late October, early November. So yeah, I mean, we there's a- almost always something that's retrograde. I mean, almost always, um, but not like we've seen it so far this year. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's hear your uh, your poem. All right. I I'm going to share my screen so people can actually see the lur- see the the words to the poem if that's nice. okay. Yes. It has more of an impact that way. Present tense. The lightning hits, the shift is now. I close my eyes and take the vow to release the future and the past to focus on the present fast. Extending through infinity, extending far as I can see. The lightning hits, the sky lights up, the waters pour forth from my cup. The feelings pour forth from my heart as from the past my life does part. The walls of safety tumble down. My head goes spinning round and round. I'm standing high out on a ledge. I leap onto the razor's edge where form can split and separate. Ambivalence turns to love 
and hate. Where unity is sliced in two, choice shows us what we must do. Where issues are forced, so we must choose something to gain, something to lose, something feared, something desired. The pressure to choose makes me grow tired, something I want, something I fear. Excitement mounts as the moment grows near. Time speeds up and my heart beats fast. I fear this moment will not last, but then I remember the razor's edge and the illusion of feeling like I'm on that ledge. For the moment of now is all that exists. Create past and future, then something resists events in the future that hurt long ago, creating rough water in time's river flow, for time is a river that flows to the sea. The storm waves dissolve when we just let it be. When the past and the future are locked in desire. The rapids build and the waves grow higher, but it's all in the mind for the ledge is unreal. The fear of the fall is the fate that we seal. The razor is safe if we stay here and now. So I soften my vision and repeat my old vow. I release unborn futures letting go of the past and the infinite present grows cosmically vast. Author Rick Levine. You bet. Oh, that is just fantastic. Loved that so much. I mean, that's, you wrote that recently, right? I wrote that in 1993. No way. Way. Wow. It's so relevant for right now. I can't believe it. I would have thought you wrote that a few days ago. Remember right then there was a Uranus-Neptune conjunction. Hmm. Okay. I don't remember that, but um, thanks for the reminder. And that is phenomenal. So relevant for right now. It'd be fun to put that in our show notes so people can read it because it's really, really nice to see the words. Yeah. Check out Rick Levine's Instagram at at Rick Levine Astrologer. And same with us, astrology.hub. Oh my gosh, my words today, (laughs) astrology.hub. No, astrology hub, but but Anne has coined the phrase astrology hug, which I do like. Astrology hug. Oh, God. yeah, yeah. Grab that domain, astrologyhug.com. <laughs> exactly. Although, although, although it may be um, a bit socially unacceptable. Yeah, I might get in trouble for that. Both uh, social distancing and, uh, <laughs> and restated boundaries. So maybe you should break away from astrology hug and just say... Astrology Hub. There you go. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Rick. That was another journey. Thank you. Beautiful. And thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks for being a part of our community. Thanks for making astrology a part of your life. And I can't wait to see you again on the next episode. Take care, everybody.